Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Adam Gold Show. We are a little bit more than halfway through the final ACC Big Ten Challenge. The ACC with a 5-3 lead. They have not won this in five years. Three straight losses, and the year before that, I believe 2018, was a. it ended in a draw. ACC last one, and they romped, I believe, like 11-3 back in 2017. But it's been a minute since the ACC has come out of this on top. And if the ACC is to come out on top, they will likely need contributions from their two bellwether programs, Duke and North Carolina. We'll talk about them a little bit. We'll talk about NC State with my man Brian Geisinger. Pack pride, devil's den everywhere. He knows as much about basketball as any human being I know. All right, sir. Appreciate your time. I want to start with the Wolfpack last night against William & Mary. They're not in the ACC Big Ten Challenge this year because when you finish 14th or 15th, rather, uh, you don't get to get a chance to do this. So they missed out the last one, and that's fine. Um, But I've seen them now a few times. I loved watching the game against Kansas. I thought that was as fun a basketball game as I had seen, and... I like the fact that they have multiple guys that can beat you off the bounce. They can create their own shot. I don't know what else they've got in terms of, I don't think they're going to be good enough defensively, but uh, now that we've seen them against a few good teams, what are your thoughts on the Wolfpack? I mean, almost, you know, entirely positive across the board. I I know it's been just eight games, um, but they've been, they've been pretty awesome to start the season, you know, um, and going toe-to-toe with Kansas like that, and I mean, Kansas is one of the best teams in the country, and State was right in that and, and easily could have come away with a win. Um, but, they, you know, beating Dayton is a great win. Butler is a good win. Mm-hmm. I even think it went over Campbell, uh, you know, a few weeks back was, was pretty solid too. Campbell's tough to prepare for and to defend um, with their sort of like, you know, Princeton offense that mm-hmm. they run. Having Terquavian Smith on this roster is just such a game changer. Like, I know he hasn't even shot the ball that well to start right. the season. I know he's also dealing with some injuries, but or an injury. But, man, he's, like, what he's able to do, the attention he's able to draw, is setting stuff up for everyone else. He's making life easier for Jarkel Joyner. Mm-hmm. He's making life easier for Jack Clark, for Mahorchich, for Casey Morsell. Um, for DJ Burns, because teams are having to put two on the ball when he runs pick and roll. And I think while his passing hasn't been necessarily like clean this season, he takes some chances and occasionally he'll throw a, you know more of a careless pass. Overall, I think the passing has been pretty impressive. Um, he takes, you know, he, he sees guys. He sees, sometimes he sees the action a step ahead of the defense and he's able to get the ball there as the team is maybe still rotating around. But you do see, like, when, when T- and William and Mary did this last night mm-hmm. as well, like, they had to put two on the ball against Terwavian because 
he can turn the corner and get downhill and get to the rim, or he can shoot a pull up three from outer space. Like, you know, he's got that <laughs> kind of range. And 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 Jarkel Joyner's been awesome too. I mean, yep. I think at some point he'll probably cool off from the mid range. He's shooting around fifty five percent on mid range jumpers right now. Like he's not Kevin Durant or Chris Paul. <laughs> like that number will probably come down some, but he's had an awesome season. He's getting to the rim. He's drawing fouls. Like both he and Terquavion are both uh, drawing over four fouls per forty minutes this season, which is huge. And that has replaced to an extent the rim pressure lost by Darian Sebron, right? Mm-hmm. But while Joyner is not the same sort of like long, lanky, downhill physical freak that Darian was, he has the ability to shoot off the dribble. So he yeah. can actually get it going from more levels of the court. And I just what those two guys are doing with the basketball, being able to get off the ball and spot up and work and attack closeouts, all of that stuff is making it I think really easy for guys like Clark, Morsell, and Mahorchich who are having awesome seasons shooting the basketball. Casey Morsell, 53% from downtown. Jack Clark, 64% on twos. Mahorchich, 65% on twos. All of those guys, super efficient this season. Um, and you touched on the defense too. Like I do sort of worry about that long-term a little bit, but they're trending in the right direction. Like right now, they're probably top 75, top 80 in terms of defense, and if you pair that okay. with the top 30 offense, now you've got something. You, I mean, obviously you'd like the defense to continue to get better, but unsurprisingly for Kevin Keats' team, they're pressing a lot. You know, almost, mm-hmm. what, 60% of their possessions or so, it helps that they're scoring a lot. So yep. they're making teams take the ball and out, they can set up the press. And they're forcing turnovers on that. You know, their top 50, give or take, in, in opponent turnover rate, right around 22% of opponent possessions have ended in a turnover but I think the huge thing for them is right now, NC State, the defensive rebound rate. Uh, opponents are getting, uh, I mean, they're rebounding over 70%, 77% of available defensive rebounds, wow. which would far and away be the best defensive rebound rate ever uh, for a Kevin Keats team, even going back to his time at Wilmington. NC State switches a lot, so mm-hmm. that can often leave you in a bad spot to gain defensive rebounds if you have a a small on a, a you know on a post guy after a switch but that's huge so if you're forcing turnovers you're running teams off the line teams aren't attempting a ton of threes against state and you're closing out possessions with defensive rebounds there's a roadmap right. um to being a competent if not elite but competent defense yeah look finishing off possessions is important all right let me get to i i love the fact that casey morsell who had a, a rough year last year uh, is off to a good start because I, I actually think they could be the uh, they could challenge for the best of the uh, of the schools that aren't necessarily, you know, in the top echelon of the ACC this year. However deep that is, I don't think it's all that deep, but I think state's as good as anybody in the middle of the pack. And they've got man, you've, you've got an elite player in Smith and uh, other players who can create their own offense. I and and that leads me to Duke because watching their games in uh Portland it struck me as they don't have a lot of creators you know guys who can individually break down a defense or at least they haven't shown that uh, Tyrese Proctor I'm not sure can get around his uh the defender um I'm not sure about why we haven't seen a lot of whitehead yet um, what what are your thoughts on Duke's offense, and does John Shire have to kind of script something to create it? 
Yeah, I mean, this this is sort of one of the big mysteries with this roster right now. Um, because Jeremy Roach can take guys off the dribble, yeah. but he's not always big enough to finish in the paint, right? And Tyrese Proctor is, is you know, big enough to finish in the paint, and he's a really good passer, and, but he doesn't reliably turn the corner. Even before Duke, I, I saw him play this past summer for Australia in FIBA competition. It was the same thing out there. Um, Derek Whitehead, so Derek Whitehead becomes the the what if, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, they list him at six seven on the roster. I don't think he's quite that tall, but he is like a he's built like a you know powerful wing, and he can slash. Um, we need to see probably need to see more of him. I know he's he's coming off a of surgery three three and a half months ago. Mm -hmm. He's had only very limited practice time. I think Shire right. actually mentioned this when they were out in Portland. So he doesn't look like he has his rhythm or his conditioning up. He's looked a little rusty running pick and roll. He's looked more comfortable when they just like isolate him on the wing or in the corner, but that hasn't really gotten them all that much just yet. Um, he's going to start playing better. Like this guy is really, really talented. Um, Duke's going to have to get him, give him more playing time. They're going to have to get him the ball more. And they're also going to have to scheme him some stuff up. And I think for the most part, John Shire has done a nice job, like scheming half court offense, but if you need to get this guy going, which I think you and I agree that, that Duke does, then you probably need to do more than just play him more and get him the ball more. Like they're probably, you probably need to be thinking a little more creative. Like how do we make it easy for mm -hmm. this guy, at least to get him going. Um, short of that, Kyle Filipowski has been awesome. I love like, Kyle I mean, Filipowski. You know, he, 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 what's not to like, like he has been, He's been outstanding on both sides of the floor. This guy's been one of the best players in college basketball so far this season. His playmaking from all over the court, like he's obviously not anywhere, he's not anywhere near the same tier of prospect as Paolo Bancaro. So like I, I hesitate to like draw that comp, but like Duke can use him in a similar way. Mm -hmm. They can isolate him at the elbow. They can run pick and pop with him. They can run screen and roll with him and let him get into space. And then he can you know, put it on the deck a couple of times and get to the rim or he can kick out. He can hit the skip pass. So he just, he's a walking mismatch um, and a guy that has really just done an excellent job creating offense for himself or playing within the flow of Duke's half court offense. The thing that I will be curious to see as well is like if Duke does try to maybe downsize a little bit. Like it really has been mostly two big guys this yeah. season. You know, they they've played some of Filipowski at center with, you know, four guards and wings, or they've played lively at center with Filipowski off and four guards and wings or Ryan Young for that matter. But for the most part, it's been, you know, some combination of Filipowski with either Young or Lively at five. And I do think you're probably gonna see them more of Derek Whitehead at the four or, or Mark Mitchell at the four and see if they can get a little bit more spacing in the half court. Yeah. I mean, it, it just looks like everything has been a slog offensively for them. And it comes down to, I mean, Proctor's a point guard and he hasn't been able to turn his man uh, and get into the lane and create. And it's just made everything more difficult. But look, John Shire won a national championship with basically nobody that could get in the lane on their own. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and, yeah. and and that was a weird year. I get whatever you want to say. Um, and Shire was a special college basketball player. I mean, super special. And Nolan Smith was, was on that team. And Kyle Singler was really good. But ultimately, it was a team that could not beat their man. And Similar to that team, though, like that 2010 title team, they mashed teams on the offensive glass. Crushed them.
and that's yeah. what Duke that's what Duke is doing, which like I mean they literally lead the the nation in <laughs> offensive rebound rate and their putback efficiency numbers have been good this season. So like that is slightly positive. They do they do have like enough self-awareness. I will also say too like gold they're shooting 29% on threes this season. Right. They're, they're not going to shoot below 30%. Like Tyrese Proctor has gotten a ton of good looks and he, they just haven't gone down. Like he's shooting 15% on threes this year. Like mm-hmm. that is on 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 some volume. Like yeah. that's going to improve. Um I don't think they're a great three-point shooting team, but th- they're better than how they've shot it so far. So I think you can expect some like regression in the right direction for them in terms of three-point percentage too. Maybe shoot should play more. Mm. And shoot. Um, all right, uh, Brian Geisinger. Uh, first of all, do you, uh, do you like Duke or Ohio State tonight? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't like making predictions. Um, I'll say Duke, but it's close. Okay. Um, I think Ohio State, I don't, I don't, have you seen Ohio State no, play at all this season? I, I've barely okay. seen Duke play. I've seen, there, I've seen about three Duke games. Okay. The, Ohio State has some, I mean, there's a guy, Bryce Sensabaugh, who you'll see tonight, who's built like, you know, he's built like, zion minus 30 pounds oh. he's like a power wing he doesn't like to pass but he can really shoot they've got another guy bruce Thor- thornton who's another possible one and done uh freshman that can also really shoot and score okay. so like this team is they're good they've got like a nice mix of veterans um and like you know young sort of like upside talent with sensible and, and uh and thornton all right i look forward to that all right now um real quick about north carolina I mean, they scored. I mean, four overtimes still scored 103 <laughs> points, 102 points, whatever it was, and lost the game. Um, they've managed to win most of these games, but they've also struggled in all of these games. Like they've they've run nobody off the court. So, what do you think has been their biggest issue? And, and again, they've won most of these games, so it's not that big a deal, I guess. But uh, what what has gotten in their way, at least in the first, you know two-thirds of most of these games yeah i do think it's the ultimately i think it's like the defense kind of similar to last year like just figuring out what their coverages are going to be and and nailing those down um i mean you could see in the uh in the four overtime game against alabama like how many different pick and roll coverages they tried throughout that game i mean they're gonna Mm -hmm. they're gonna try to like pin the ball on the side when it's a side screen but they also you know they they switched a lot in that game um even including some small ball lineups with like you know leaky or puff johnson as like the de facto four but Mm -hmm. they switch with pete nance they switch with armando baycott ultimately i think this team's talent is too good and the pieces fit together too well um so i'm not too too worried about it but the defense is gonna have to get better and i i think it is important i i do think it's important with unc that it for them when they like found their groove last season it was it was the blend offensively. It wasn't just one guy set going going crazy. Like they don't this team doesn't have a Turquavian Smith. Like right. Caleb Love is really good. He's not Turquavian Smith, man. Um, he doesn't get his own shot like that. And so they've got to have everyone rowing in the same direction. And like, I mean, they've got awesome guards. Like Caleb Love and RJ Davis are awesome guards. They're proven really, really good guards. Pete Nance is an NBA player. He's a draft pick. He's probably one of the top, probably a top 40, 45 pick, mm-hmm. you know, if the draft for tonight, Baycott, what else is there to say? Like an incredible post-up target, an incredible putback guy. You can run offense through him. He can pass. Leaky Black is showing incredible confidence off, shooting off the catch and on the pull-up, but it's like 
none of those guys are like pure, just like breakdown guys. You need the scheme, you need the ball movement, and you need those guys to to, to pass it and to make shots. But ultimately, like they're, I think they're going to be there at the end of the season. Like they're going to find it. Um, I think this part of the year is important for them to to have those learning experiences. I think you'd like for it to be better. Uh, you know, absolutely, you'd like to win these games for sure. But like they easily could have won that Alabama game. I mean, to say that right. was a coin flip would be like trite, you know, like every, you know, if no, it was I mean, a four overtime game, you know, like the, anyone could have won it 12 different times. They overturned the, the game winning basket. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. I do think though, if I had to sort of like, uh, you know, nitpick a little bit, I did think down the stretch of that game, like you saw Alabama put Charles Bidiaco, their center on Leaky Black, mm-hmm. and UNC went pretty matchup heavy like late in that game where they took either RJ Davis or Caleb Love, had them handle the ball, and then whomever Bidiaco was guarding, it was usually Leaky Black. Um, that person would go set a screen, and they were trying to force Bidiaco to maybe switch and guard one of their their guards, or if there was some space, those guys could get to a jumper, but... Bidiaco did a great job, and Javon Quinterly was really good at the point of attack. And I just kind of wish UNC hadn't gone from – like, I thought their offensive flow was doing was doing good work already, and they, they went – but look, man, it was everyone was tired. Everyone had played 60 yeah. minutes. I get why you want to simplify it. But I'm not, I did think they went, like, a little matchup heavy down the stretch against Bama. I'm not worried at all about uh, any of the teams we've talked about. I actually think State uh, State's going to be a fun team to watch. I'm going to enjoy watching them. Uh, and progress all year long. Brian Geisinger at Geis underscore bird uh, from Pack Pride, Devil's Den, and a thousand other uh, places to read and uh, listen to his work. Uh, appreciate your time, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Adam Golden. I'm in studio with my friend, Coach Pete Ruder with the Capital Financial Advisory Group. Is it ever too soon to seek out you and your expertise? Really, there's no too soon. It's time to get serious. So if you're 50 or over, we call it the financial red zone. And that's when really it's time for you to take control of your money and, and make sure you have a firm on your side that's a fiduciary planning firm, which means they take your side at all times. Now, we'll do this for the next 10 of you who call. This is a $1,000 value, but I'm going to waive my planning fee to make sure you get your total retirement plan and you get on the right path for retirement. Call 888-843-0013, or text ADAM to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. Did I just see what I saw? Did I did it did did Lionel Messi not earn a questionable penalty in the box and fail to convert? Oh, he missed a PK? Sorry, Is I was, that what happened? I was talking to somebody. Because I thought it was a questionable penalty. About as questionable as the one Ronaldo earned in Portugal's first match. I think it was, was that, who was that against? I'm trying to remember. Senegal, I think. Sounds right. Um, Yeah, very questionable penalty. But holy cow. Think about this. Messi and the World Cup and the fact that they lost their first match to Saudi Arabia. And they need a result to have a chance to go through today. A win would get them through. A draw, I think they can still make it, but and he had a chance to put Argentina ahead of Poland in the first half. And Lionel Messi stopped. It's a heck of a save. Heck of a save. He didn't get it close enough to the uh to the post, but uh that was a bullet and a tremendous save by the Poland keeper. Uh so there you go. All right. Before we get to the rewind. 
Tiger Woods tournament is coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's actually, I think it's next, might, was it this weekend? It might be this weekend. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's this weekend. The Hero World Challenge is this weekend, and then next week he's playing in that uh, tournament with his son, Charlie. Right? So Tiger is at the podium, and he's coming back. He's going to come. He wants to come back and play. Now, I've always thought that Tiger was going to play basically just the majors, and he might play another tournament here or there, but basically just for the majors. So let's ask Tiger, or let Tiger answer the question, why are you still trying to do this? Uh-oh. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get Tiger in a second. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Rory McIlroy, I think they were at the, uh, the European Tour, the, it's called the DP World Tour now, uh, championship in Dubai. And he had mentioned that if the PGA Tour and Live Golf ever have some sort of a meeting of the minds, it will only be when Greg Norman steps away. Tiger said the same thing. We'll hear that in a minute. But first from Tiger, why are you still trying to do this? I love competing. You know, I love I love this sport. I've been playing it for most, well, basically all my life. And, you know, actually I've been a pro for more than half my life. So if you look at those terms, you know, I've, I've been a part of this sport and I've loved it. It's just unfortunate I'm not able to do the things that I, I feel mentally I can do. The body just kind of rejects it. Yeah, look, Woods would probably, were it not for his body breaking down. Think about Tiger Woods won the Masters in 2019. The last major championship he won before then was 2008. Think about how dominant he was from 2000 through 2008. And he stopped winning. Yes, I know he had the personal things. And that had something to do with it, I believe. But it was really a back that would not allow him to play. And he won. He still won some tournaments. He had a year, was it, I think it was either 2014 or 2015, where he won five times, including the Players' Championship. But he was not, he didn't really contend in any majors from 2009, where he could have won three and won none. That was also the first time he ever lost a major with the lead heading to Sunday when he lost to Y.E. Yang in the PGA Championship in 2009. And he didn't contend again until he came back in 2018. And he was in contention in two of the four majors. He was in contention at the Open Championship, won by um, Francesco Molinari. And he was in contention at the PGA Championship later that summer, the one won by one, one of them won by Brooks Kepka. But Tiger, he didn't win him, but he was there. And then in 2019, he wins the Masters, which is just... It was still one of the most incredible things to watch. But he wants to play. He wants to compete. How much can he still play? Play just the major championships and maybe one or two more. That's it. I mean, that's physically, that's all I can do. And I told you that, guys, you know, the beginning of this year, too. I mean, that's, I don't have much left in his leg. So 
gear up for the biggest ones and hopefully, you know, lightning catches in a bottle and I, I'm up there in contention with a chance to win and, I rem and hopefully I remember how to do that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, giving myself a chance to get out there again. Uh, I didn't, as I said, I didn't expect to play three majors this year. We were hopefully for just the, the British Open, but I was able to get two more in there. So that was a big positive. Look, yeah, I mean, the fact that he played the Masters was kind of a surprise. Um, it's also it was a very difficult golf tournament for him to play because of the can, the hills of Augusta National. Same thing at Southern Hills. He probably shouldn't have played the PGA, and he, he ended up withdrawing from the PGA. Um, but he always wanted to come back to play at the Open at St. Andrews. And I think he's going to try and play all four majors, as he said. And I don't know which of the other events he's going to play. Is he going to play his tournament in L.A.? Is he going to play that? I don't know. He's not. Maybe he'll play. No, Bay Hill is too close to uh, the Masters. So I don't know what he's going to play. I really don't. So there's not a lot of events for him that he will want to play. I think he ends up playing just one other event and then, if he can, the four majors. Now to the live question real quick. So we for the we haven't talked about it in a long time because we talked about it for a long time. If Live Golf, which is the Saudi backed um rogue tour, if you will. Uh and I should the only reason it's a rogue it's not a rogue tour because of Saudi money, by the way. It's a rogue tour because of Greg Norman. Because of the guy who's heading it up. And if you have heard me talk about this, you have never heard me complain about the source of the money. To me, there's bad money everywhere. So I'm not going to denigrate or talk about Liv. And I don't have any problem with Liv Golf existing. They just can't have it both ways. They can't demand that the players be able to play the PGA Tour when they're essentially taking them away from the PGA Tour. Because you have to play next year 14 live events. No way you're going to have 14 live events. You're going to be able to play that and keep your PGA Tour membership. So they don't want these guys to be PGA Tour members. They just want them to have access to the PGA Tour. And the PGA Tour does not like that. So they are actively working against that. Anyway, here's Tiger. And the reason for that is Greg Norman. Here's Tiger on Live and the PGA Tour existing. There's no willingness to negotiate if you have a litigation against you. So um, if they both have a stay and then have a break and then they can meet and figure something out, then maybe there is something to be had. Um, but I think Greg has to go, first of all, and, and then obviously the litigation against us and then our countersuit against them. Um, those would then have to be at a stay as well. So then, then we can talk. We can all talk freely. Here's ultimately the end game. The end game is lifting the ban from playing international team events. That's it. That's it. I don't think they should have to I don't think the PGA Tour should have to bend their rules to satisfy these guys and I think the PGA Tour has a right to enforce their own rules. End of story. But for events like the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup 
those guys should be allowed to be involved. President's Cup would have been much better if the best players from the international side were available. And they weren't because it's a PGA Tour event. Anyway, let's get to to the rewind. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Chip Patterson, my man, CBSSports.com Cover 3 Podcast moderator. I have a question. Who you got, UNC, Clemson? I think that uh, to use Mac Brown's own assessment, North Carolina was not that much better than its schedule this year. So North Carolina actually was bigger in those moments than the team was good because North Carolina found ways to make plays against Pitt. North Carolina found ways to make plays against Wake Forest. North Carolina found ways to make plays against Duke. North Carolina finished at the top of the Coastal Division mm-hmm. with, again, Matt Brown's own assessment of his team when they weren't that much better than anybody else in that Coastal Division. They just happened to show up and make the winning plays that they needed down the stretch. They did not make those plays against NC State. They did not make those plays against Georgia Tech. But for a large portion of this schedule, it was a team that was playing with fire that was showing up and making the plays that it needed to down the stretch. I think that North Carolina is coming in as the looser team. I think that it would be mm-hmm. hilarious to watch North <laughs> Carolina bounce back from two losses well, to win the ACC championship. And I think that you've got the better quarterback and you're yes. playing with a very different set of expectations. I just, I, I would not be surprised if the Tar Heels claim their first conference title in 42 years on Saturday night. It'd be fun to watch. I want to see Drake May play against Clemson's defense, which hasn't been nearly as good as everybody thought Clemson's defense will be. All right. Uh, Ryan O'Hanlon from ESPN. He is a soccer writer. Sir, talk to me about yesterday's win. And for the United States and creating chances. Like we had this game where Iran is just a very good defensive team. Yeah, they mm-hmm. did give up six goals to England. That did happen. But England finished really well. And also England can just, you know, get on a heater, right? Yeah. They have so many good players. But like historically, Iran is a great defensive team. Carlos Kiros is an incredibly frustrating manager for mm-hmm. people that root for his teams, but he builds a great defense. And the way the group stages played out, this wasn't just a normal game, right? This was a game where Iran, they just needed to draw. Like, mm-hmm. it, it had different incentives. And Iran just had everyone behind the ball. So when that's happening, 
it's very hard to create high quality opportunities, right? Because like there's just no space. So a lot of times you'll see, you know, maybe a deflection will lead to a goal. You'll see a set piece that leads to a goal. Like those are the ways you break these teams down. You get a handball in the box or something, right? And then that opens the floodgates. But the U.S. didn't need any of that. They created an incredibly high quality opportunity because the U.S. now has a player like Weston McKinney, mm-hmm. who plays for Juventus in the Champions League, who plays a perfect ball onto a perfect run from Zudino Dest, who plays for AC Milan in the Champions League, who heads it across to Christian Pulisic, who makes hasn't been talked about enough, in my opinion. The run he made was yep. absolutely incredible. Um, he's like 30 yards from the goal when Weston McKinney plays the ball in the first place. And Pulisic is, you know, the greatest American soccer of all time, and he gets on the end of it, and it's, you know, essentially a tap-in into a near-wide-open net. And being able to create that chance against an Iran defense like that is something the U.S. would have never been able to do in the past, in my opinion. They they did create. It was interesting to watch. That was the best I'd seen the USA attack B really throughout all of qualifying. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were creative and dynamic and they just didn't convert enough. They got one in the first half were what? Four inches. How, how much was Tim way offside? Uh, was he like a knee? I think it was literally it was knee. Like his knee was off. His bent knee as, right. as he was as he was running. As he was, was the running, only thing that was past the defender. That was it. Like really, and really the, the McKinney pass to Dest at the side of the penalty box, which Dest headed over to Polisic in the right in front of the goal. That was a great pass by McKinney. But I think the pass ahead to Weah that was ruled offside, that to me was the better pass. That was a phenomenal through ball. I think there's a lot of things to really like about the way the United States played, and I didn't understand at all the uh, the angst from, like, if if you start, and you know me, I will tweet while I'm watching something. If you start tweeting about, the men's national team, you get thousands of response. I don't get thousands. It's over. What an exaggeration. Uh, you get dozens of responses from people who think you don't know what you're talking about, which I'm not arguing. Um, like, why didn't they do this? Why did they sit back? I'm like, the game changed. Once Iran needed to score, the game changed. When the U.S. didn't have to score anymore, yeah, you would have liked to have gotten the second goal. I wanted the second goal to feel better about it. But this team is not allowed a goal through the run of play in the World Cup. Zero. The only goal was a, stu- a dumb challenge by Walker Zimmerman, which led to the Gareth Bale penalty. I like the U.S.'s chances against the Netherlands on Saturday. I do. Uh, hit him up on Twitter. Tw- uh, excuse me? <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Bye. This is the Adam Gold Show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.